Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah, dig it. Happy Star Wars Day, everybody, boys and girls. May the fourth be with you. That was awful. Oh, it's atrocious. That was... <laughs> I can do a good Macho Man impression. It's just like, cup of coffee in the big time. <laughs> just not with the vocal lead up, the melody. <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. <laughs> but, um... Happy Star Wars Day, everybody. Happy Star Wars Day. Happy Star Wars Day. <laughs> we are finally covering a Star Wars movie on this podcast. Oh, it took how many episodes? 49. Wow, okay. But this is not... 49, but this is a special. This mm-hmm. is, so it doesn't count. It doesn't count. We're still figuring out what to do for the 50th. All right. We're hoping to get multiple people involved. Fuck yeah, Christmas special. Yes. Christmas special, but with... Potentially, maybe some drink this time. Oh hell yeah, boozocalypse, alcoholocaust. Let's do it. Wow. Wine eleven, Pearl Harbor. <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to um, book fast Sunday. Yes. <laughs> yes. So happy Star Wars Day. This is my holy day. What's up? Yes, as a uh, as a genuine Jediism. <laughs> Did you put that in the census? I didn't do the census this year. Damn it, you missed your opportunity. But if, I had, but if I did the census and I had to put down religion, I would put Jedi. Fuck yeah. Yes. It's like, it's like Buddhism, but without any of the respect that Buddhism gets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with cool laser blades. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, people do get it wrong. We don't literally have a book of Qui-Gon, or, <laughs> you know. But um, anyway, so we're talking Phantom Menace today. Because... <laughs> As much as it would be cool to talk about A New Hope or even the sequel, one of the sequel films or Empire or Jedi or, I don't know, even talk about the Clone Wars series or Rogue One, mm-hmm. there's something about Phantom Menace yeah, you that is just... more than any other film. <laughs> but also, I, it, is by, it is by far not my least favourite. Really? There are films that I would put ahead of this. Okay. Such as? The animated Clone Wars movie. Okay, well that's fair. That's, yeah. That is, that is a theatrical release. Is it? Yes, they released it in cinemas. I didn't know back that. Back in 2008. I think <laughs> that might have come out the same weekend as Wally. Shit. Well, it didn't sound a chance. <laughs> but also, it was, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad and it was just like, you know, it did... The Mandalorian plot before The Mandalorian, but terribly. Oh. Before Grogu, there was Stinky. I don't think I've ever seen this film. Stinky, who was Jabba the Hutt's son, who was kidnapped. Oh. I definitely haven't seen this film. Oh, the animation isn't even good. Oh. (laughs) Like, Like, half the animation is just folding the same folded arms animation. Like, it is, like, the greatest redemption story in Star Wars isn't Darth Vader. It's Dave Filoni from going from that to where he is now. <laughs> like, the living god of the fra- of the franchise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, um, you know, the second coming of the uh, pr- original trilogy, George Lucas. <laughs> but, um, yeah, now, so I would put that at, like, the very bottom. Yeah. Then Attack of the Clones... 
then Rise of Skywalker, and then Phantom Menace. Okay. Attack of the Clones I has never has always been my least favorite prequel. Because again, like this has Duel of the Fates, Revenge That's of the true, Sith yeah. has you know the battle between Obi Wan and Anakin, and it's the best of the three prequels. Yeah. There's nothing in Attack of the Clones bar I like sand. And a good John Williams score and yeah. meme meme stuff. But also Obi Wan can talk to lizards, which is cool. And I mean, and also <laughs> Natalie Portman in the white outfit, lot of kids first. Sexual awakening. Yes. <laughs> a ge- that this was that was like a generation's version of Lay in the gold bikini. Mm. But you can kind of look back a little little easier on it than yeah. how you kind of look back at like, oh yeah, Carrie Fisher was like not really up for that and George Lucas just told her, come on, do it. Yeah. There's, there's no, no underwear in space. Yes, there's, there's <laughs> no underwear in space. I can see you getting the words. <laughs> but um, yeah, so besides that, and again, the sand, the sand bit, there's nothing in Attack of Because again, even... Even Rise of Skywalker has a couple cool jet, cool lightsaber battles in it. Yeah. And I like how they handled Princess Leia's death. Mm. Like the fact that they focused on Chewbacca's reaction to that. Yeah. That is that would that puts it above, because also it doesn't have the really bad romance dialogue. Totally. So there and then Rise of Skywalker and then this film. Mm. Yeah. Even though I know for a fact this is not a good movie. Yeah. This is an unconventionally bad movie. The pod racing scene alone is, is phenomenal. And again, and Duel, if, it, if, if this film had just been that and Duel of the Fates, it would be top tier. Yeah. A good half hour film, that's all I needed. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, there is more than half an hour in here. Yeah. Weird Jesus version birth. <laughs> Midichlorians. Midichlorians. Repeat after me. Three, two, one, Jar Jar. Oh, Jar Jar. Jar Jar. <laughs> I saw um, footage uh, while I was doing the research of what, like, the original Jar Jar could have been. Yeah. And it was, like, the puppet Jar Jar. Oh, no. And it's, Yoda like... Style? Yeah, and it's, it's, like, they're on the back of, like, a pickup truck with him. And it's just, like, it's literally, like, a puppet, like, on a stick. Oh. And it's kind of going up and down, and you can see the ears flapping, and it's like, this is fucking hilarious. Is this to green, like, to CGI over, yeah? No, no, this was just, like, very early test footage. Oh, wow, okay. Like, they're just driving on a road. <laughs> like, yeah. you could have been driving past that car and seen, you know, a Jar Jar on a stick, like the little fucking Popping horses. You see, <laughs> like, the little horses. You know, ears flapping everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it would have just been the most hilarious thing. <laughs> yeah, so we're talking Phantom Menace, directed by George Lucas. Mm-hmm. This was his first directorial film since 1977. Okay. Because he didn't do Empire, he didn't do Return of the Jedi, um, and he didn't do Howard the Duck. Yeah. He didn't do Howard the Duck? He didn't? No, no. I thought he did. He was... I'll, actually, I'll look it up now just to make sure. I mean... Howard the Duck is atrocious. Mm. Oh. I love Howard the Duck, though. Yeah. I mean, if you treat... 
Come on, it's, it's all about this duck getting sucked into our world, and then he tries to fuck Leah Thompson. It's a pretty good film, start to finish. Oh, and those Satan demons? Oh, come on, space demons? Come on. And, oh no, he didn't do, uh, he didn't know, it was, um, How to Duck was, uh, Lucasfilm. was um, Willard Hyuk, <laughs> who also has screenplay credits on Indiana Jones and oh. the Temple of Doom. And American Graffiti. So he would have been within the um, George Lucas camp. Yeah. yeah. It was his last directorial movie, by the way. Damn. Yeah. Although he did, and although he has... Oh, he didn't Oh, he didn't even write that much after Howard the Duck. Oh, yeah, no, it kind of killed his career. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it was like, oh, he... I was looking, I'm just looking through IMDb, and I was like, oh, shit, he has a bunch of... Oh, oh, he's credited on, like, Indiana Jones stuff in, like, the 2000s. Oh, so he was a screenwriter on Crystal. No, it was, like, original screenplay by, and it was, like, the Lego games. Oh. Yeah. But, um, his best. <laughs> yeah, so this was George Lucas directing for the first time since 1977. And we didn't... And it was a case of no one kind of realised that was a red flag yet. Mm. Um cast we have Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn yes phenomenal uh, by far the best actor in this whole film oh yeah yeah um young a young Ewan McGregor fresh off of train spotting <laughs> um as Obi-Wan Kenobi um Natalie Portman mm. who was 16 around the time this was made fuck so yeah like she missed the premiere because she had to take school exams <laughs> yeah um, poor, poor Jake Lloyd. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Um, Ray Park is Darth Maul. Not the original choice. Yep. Um, Ahmed Best. Another poor soul we'll talk about. This movie kind of ruins some people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ian McDermott as Palpatine, reprising his role from uh, Re- Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um... Another MVP of this trilogy. Like, I'd say he's the one who, over the course of the three films, has, like, the best overall performance. Because even, you know, McGregor is amazing, is great in uh, Attack of the Clones, and amazing in uh, Revenge of the Sith. It's true, too. But here is, like, by far his weakest. Not by his own fault. Yeah. But... McDermott is like good here he's good in the next one and he's great in the third one so if you average it out he has the best overall track record yeah but um Samuel L. Jackson is Mace Windu bit of a bit of a missed opportunity to say the least you think so? I mean it's Sam Jackson mm. as a Jedi and he's like the serious yo. Know, you know, sourpuss face for the entire three movies. Like, yeah. he does... Like, outside of, like, chopping off Django Fett's head mm. in the second film, he isn't really given much to do. He's still a badass, though. Because it's Sam Jackson. I just I think suppose, you could yeah. have gone more badass. Yeah. It feels kind of miscast to have him as, like, the ignorantly blind, you know by the book Jedi, mm-hmm. he kind of feels like he'd be more of a Qui-Gon type. That's true, yeah. You know? Rule breaker. Um, Frank Oz is voicing Yoda again. Of course. On, uh, 
a different Yoda in 99 than the one that we've become accustomed to if you watch this on Disney Plus. Yes. Um, Kenny Baker, God Rest His Soul. Uh, I met him at a convention once. Did you actually? Yes, I think it might have been like one of the last conventions he kind of did. Shit. He was not, God bless him, he was not looking well. Mm. No, this was, this was like, might have been 20, it was, it was before Force Awakens came out. Yeah. And he, I think he died in like twenty sixteen. Fuck man. But like, yeah, no, he he didn't really look that well there. That's fair. Um, Anthony Daniels is the Tripio, mm-hmm. a constant in this series. Oh yeah. Whether or not his him being in this movie was a good call or not, will we can discuss that later. Uh, then we've got Pernilla August as Shmi Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Shmi, 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 and. A very young Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley's in this? Yeah, she was one of Padme's handmaidens. Ah. Uh, she would have. She was twelve. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um. Nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah. This again. This was like. But also, this was from like ninety seven. Oh yeah. So it was like that would have been like five years before Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah. Eight years before pirates so it was like yeah she was young at that Mm. point um almost too young it it, as as it turned out uh her parents were kind of just like we would rather you didn't audition for this but she was like determined it was like no i like star wars i wanted i want to audition she had the career and she got the role unfortunately we'll, we'll get we'll get into some of the on set shit that happened oh yeah um so let's get into pre-production. Um, George Lucas had said he was kind of he was done with Star Wars after the mid eighties. Mm. He had written more Star Wars in terms of the original idea than what was put in the trilogy. Right. But I think his mind was the technology isn't where it needs to be for me to tell the story the way I want to. Yeah. Because as we find out, even what we got in the eight in the late seventies and eighties wasn't the full breath of what Lucas wanted. Yeah, but he had a producer breathing on his neck being like, we don't have the budget for this, it's just yeah, not possible. Yeah, he and didn't have the budget or yeah. the clout. And he was, he was reined in, which is something that he completely lost in this. <laughs> yeah, no, he was better when he... You, someone could say he was better when he was reined in. Absolutely. But one of the things about this trilogy is you kind of got to respect the fact that this is exactly the story he wanted to tell. Yeah. You know, he I didn't... Mean... <laughs> he didn't even though he should have compromised, he didn't compromise. Yeah. But upon seeing Jurassic Park from his buddy Spielberg, mm-hmm. Lucas realized, oh shit, the technology is at the point where I can go back and do tell the story that I want to tell. Yeah. So, um, Lucas, again, so, but, and then also he started to see the popularity of the extended universe, the Thrawn series, uh, in the early 90s, mm-hmm. uh, all these different books and novels and comic books. So it was like, okay, people still want more. People are still hungry for this universe. Mm-hmm. So um, it was announced in 93 that he was going to do a prequels. And he began writing it in November of 1994 based on the original outline from 1976 Jesus. 
So he went back and was just like, well, I have like a basic outline. Um, and that's where he started from. Reboot that shit. And then while all this was happening, he also uh, released special editions of the original trilogy. Which have its fans and have its detractors. Mm-hmm. I think most of the detractors are just kind of annoyed that it's now made the original originals very hard to get your hands on. Yeah. Because they haven't been re-released since the special editions. I think there's like one box set that predates the special editions that is still on sale in places. So it's like you gotta track down the originals without the special editions. And some of the add-ons in the special editions are shit. Mm. We will never, ever, ever need that Jabba the Hutt scene in A New Hope. (laughs) And it genuinely cuts down on the character's effectiveness in the sixth film. Yeah. Because imagine if you were watching Star Wars for the first time in 77 and you hear about Jabba the Hutt for two movies and you're like, oh my God, what's he look like? Is he big? Is he scary? And then you get massive slug monster yeah how much cooler would it have been if you didn't see that in the first film yeah and then you kind of go into this dark dingy palace with all of this build up for Jabba the Hutt and then you see him like that for the first time as opposed to questionable late 90s CGI (laughs) yeah um and then obviously the Han shot first uh debacle which is annoying Mm -hmm. But again, I don't hate it as much as I hate the add-on of Jabba the Hutt. Because, you know, I don't... It's a sore spot for you. (laughs) I I don't, because I don't think that takes away too much from Han's cool cool side. Yeah. But putting Jabba the Hutt in there in broad daylight with that CGI Mm. kind of damages the character. That's fair, yeah. More than shooting first or not shooting first damages Han's character. But yeah, so George's, in the original script that George had written for it, Anakin would have been about 12 years old. But then he lowered the age by about three, four years. So that when it came to the separating him from his mother angle, it kind of hit more because he was still young as opposed to like 12, 13, 14, where it was just like, I would want to get away from my ma anyway. Yeah. (laughs) You know, although part of me is then thinking... I can understand that, but also I think that was detrimental to the actor in the, in the long term because if someone had been 12 or whatever, maybe they'd have been a bit more skilled. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would have been a bit more able to cope with the online shit that he was going to get. Yeah, and just the And just the school shit as well. Yeah. Yeah, the working title was called The Beginning. Oh. Yeah, very original. Uh, it That ended up being the title of a documentary released online a couple of years back for like the 20th anniversary that goes into all of the making of, yeah. which is really fascinating because it's very, you're kind of looking at it through hindsight of like, this is what George is thinking. He's very excited. That's where the quote came from, the Jar Jar, he's the key to all of this. <laughs> if we get him right, everything else falls into place. That's that's my George Lucas impression, folks. (laughs) Turns out it's better than my Macho Man impression. (laughs) Marginally. (laughs) But then they didn't even get Jar Jar right. I think I may have gone too far with a few things. (laughs) They don't. I mean, 
I think they got Jar Jar right for what Lucas wanted. Yeah. I think the issue was Lucas wasn't right. No, I said this earlier. Like, they they had to make the CGI shitty. They had to make, make him look goofy as all hell because it was the only way to make Jar Jar's character stick. But, but the yeah. CGI looked great in 99. I know it did, yeah. When you look at it in 2022, it looks bad. Mm. But if you're in the cinema in 1999... It looks good because by that point, you know, like this, like if you look at the mummy from 1999, the yeah. effects don't really hold up, but they were amazing at the time. I think it's the same thing as with Yoda, though, where he was like, now you can't make the CGI too good. It has to look kind of puppety. Like it has to still look kind yeah. of puppety. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the one, like that's the one case of like, they didn't CGI it because they don't. I think they said the CGI wasn't there yet. Yeah. It was there in like three, four years, like five years from there, mm. but it wasn't there in ninety seven. So they couldn't do it like that. The title change to the Phantom Menace just before the film was completed. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, it did cause some anger amongst the fans when it was announced though we'll get into that when we get into posts or a little bit actually no before we get into the dissecting the movie we'll discuss it um george lucas didn't actually want to direct it at all when he uh because i think he saw well i had a i had a really stressful time doing it in 77 and then it was even better received in 1980 and whatnot Hmm. when Irving kirshner did it and when uh the guy who directed episode six I just can't. Richard Marquand mm. so it was like well it worked when I was like one of the head creatives and it was my thing and I was producing it but I wasn't directing it mm. so he approached Spielberg who turned it down because he was like dude it's your thing you should make it yeah um he approached Robert Zemeckis who also kind of said the same thing yeah um and he approached Ron Howard who was like it's too much it's too big a thing it's too big an undertaking for me to take on at this point yeah he would later go on to direct solo uh well after the after the guys who made the lego movie were fired yeah (laughs) unfortunately uh rick mccollum who was um lucas's head production partner uh began prepping it even before lucas began writing it in 94 that included hiring sound stages, scouting talent at ILM, hiring film school grads who were straight out of college. Oh, wow. So it was like, literally, you've just gotten your degree. Yeah. Hey, do you want to come work on a Star Wars movie? <laughs> kind of filling the whole team with kind of yes men. Because yeah. it's like, well, again, if you're straight out of fucking film school. You're going to do whatever you're told. You are going to do whatever you're told, especially when it's George goddamn Lucas yeah. on the set of a Star Wars movie that is like being, which is just being built up as like the movie event of the millennium. Absolutely, yeah. And even like ILM, that's very much a Spielberg and Lucas house. Yeah. If you, that's like pissing off, you know, like the boss is made. <laughs> um, the air production began in January of 1995 and began a two-year process of reviewing designs. Jesus. Just the no designs before they started filming. Yeah. Lucas wanted a richer, more period-piece-like style for the film to kind of show, okay, well, this is how things were in the Republic time, which is why 
when the Empire takes over, it all goes to shit and grime and everything. Yeah. You know, which is something I do like, the jump between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if you watch a prequel film, okay, this... You can kind of tell how shit the Empire was by how badly the look of this entire world goes down the tubes. Yeah. Like, you don't even see Coruscant in the original trilogy. So you can only imagine how badly that turned out. Mm. And then, with the sequel trilogy they don't really have that same kind of eye for it. So it's just like, well, things didn't massively improve in the 30 years you had, as opposed to like the 20 years that the Empire had to turn everything to shit. Yeah. Um, Moss Esper was based on Ralph McQuarrie's original concept art from A New Hope, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the pod racing sequence took the guts of three years to film. Jesus. Three years. It was originally 25 minutes long, but it got cut down to about nine minutes. Fuck. So the best nine minutes of that film, though. Arguably. Yeah, it says so. Duel of the Fates? I mean, yeah, it's pretty badass, but it's, not, Duel it's of, no pod racing. Duel of the Fates, <laughs> but if you take out the constant cuts between the other four fucking ba- three yeah. other battles going on at the same time... Yeah. Two of which you didn't really need, mm-hmm. but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> the The Jedi st- fighting style was specifically made for this prequel trilogy because they were like, let's do, let's show like a more old school ninja style. So that we'll show like, this is how the Jedi used to be because up until that point, all we had seen was a very old Jedi master. Yeah. And then like, a new a, a rookie and then another guy who's in a metal suit so it's like they have more physical freedom they're in their physical mm. primes let's show them in their primes yeah. so that's how we get the prequel style of fighting which i'll say this that's the one thing amongst the three trilogies that there was always something different about because the original trilogy the lightsaber fights are much slower oh yeah the original, the prequel trilogy, there's lots of flips, lots of fancy tricks. And then in the sequel trilogy, there's kind of a, it kind of feels like a hybrid of both, you know? Yeah. Like, like in the prequel, like in the sequel trilogy, it feels like it hits harder. You know, like Finn gets a lightsaber through his fucking spinal cord. You know, like they're swinging and like they're chopping trees down. It's like, yeah. it's the one that kind of, the pre- the sequel trilogy for all its flaws it's the one that actually made a lightsaber fight look like a proper fight. Yeah. You know, like people getting scratched and cut and whatnot, as yeah. opposed to Yoda flipping around like a ball in a ping pinball machine. <laughs> um, they used, they made over a thousand costumes for the film, inspired by various different cultures. Liam Neeson was so hyped to do the movie, he he took he 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 agreed to do the role before he even read the script. So it was just like, he was so on board with playing a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't need to read the script. Um, which I, although the earlier drafts of the film had way less Qui-Gon in it. Oh, really? Originally, everything that Qui-Gon kind of does, Obi-Wan is meant to do. Huh. So it was going to be Obi-Wan that finds Anakin as a, as a boy. Yeah. Which part of you can kind of be like, well, why didn't they do that? But then I think it kind of fits in a way having... Qui-Gon but then there's a part of me that's also like maybe if they hadn't have killed Qui-Gon 
Yeah. Maybe if they had kept him alive for Attack of the Clones and killed him off there, mm. maybe it could have deepened the Anakin Obi Wan bond. Mm. I feel like they can't they mostly strike the landing with it. Ninety five percent of that is Ewan McGregor's performance. That's true, yeah. But I feel like one or two changes could have been made. But then also, I'll get into it later. Have you ever heard Dave Filoni's take on The Duel of the Fates? No. We'll get into that later. All right. But it is one of the best takes about the prequels you will ever fucking hear. All righty. While Sam Jackson voiced interest and demanded a purple lightsaber. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was eventually cast as Mason Windu. Do you know who was lobbying heavily to meet with George Lucas and audition for the role? Tupac Shakur. Huh. Yeah. He was a massive Star Wars fan and was like, I want to be in the prequels. That's ridiculous. I want to be in the prequels. And he was like, literally, he was lobbying. He was ringing people up to try and get a meeting with George Lucas. But unfortunately, he was killed before he could ever have a meeting with George Lucas about it. Yeah. Which, imagine that trilogy. Being chaotic. Insanity. <laughs> Some of the casting choices, as as much as we think, you know, this film didn't turn out the way we wanted. Yeah. Some of the casting choices could have been even weirder. Yeah. Ewan McGregor was chosen from a short list of 50 different actors. The runner-up for the role was Joseph Fiennes, who was in Shakespeare in Love, uh, the younger brother of Ray Fiennes. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get the role because George Lucas's daughter was like, I don't like him. <laughs> so that's how he lost the role. Jesus. Again, but I, also I couldn't picture it, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but then again, that's just because it's, it's, it's Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. It is perfect. Who campaigned for the role of Jar Jar heavily as well? Do you want to know? <laughs> I do want to know. Desperately want to know. Michael Jackson. <laughs> The the look the look the look of befuddlement on Brennan's face right now, I, folks, is priceless. I just I I would love to hear it and see that, but um I mean it makes sense. Ahmed Best later met with Michael Jackson to get his approval oh, for the role. That's so sweet. Ahmed Best sounds like a lovely guy. Yeah. I feel so bad for him. At the Star Wars show they had a, a kids game show. Uh it was like oh I think it's, it's Secrets of the Jedi Temple or something. Uh, and that uh, Ahmed Best was... Uh, he, he was like the showrunner. Oh, so he was like the, you know, man like, on screen the entire time. Like, that's the thing. The folks in this movie who really got screwed over by the negative reactions of the fandom mm. still give the fandom the time of day. Yeah, it's ridiculous. More so than I think a lot of the actors... Who have gotten stick for the sequel trilogy have. Yeah. But then again, this was before <clears throat> you could literally be bullied off a of fucking Instagram. That's true. Uh, racially as well. Although Ahmed Best did get a lot of racial, yeah. racial shit. And also, I just think it must kind of be a bit hurtful to see people burning an effigy of your character. Yeah, I can imagine. Jake Lloyd was cast over the actor Justin Burfield who would later go on to play Reese in Malcolm in the Middle. Huh. Funny enough, this would be the first of two separate occasions where Justin Burfield was was uh, 
snubbed for the role of Anakin Skywalker. He also came this close to playing him in the prequel, in wow. the later films. So like, so, like, while Malcolm in the Middle was still on the air, mm. he came this close... Uh, he wanted. He was one of like the three main names who was being considered for the role of like older Anakin. It was him, Christensen, and DiCaprio. DiCaprio was considered. Yeah. That I had no idea of. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but it was Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Discussing that documentary, the beginning, they showed the auditions for a bunch of the child actors, and I gotta think this is them, kind of realizing we made the wrong casting choice with Jake Lloyd because they show all of the different auditions. Jake Lloyd's is the only audition where they show his fuck-ups. Mm. He's the only child actor where they show, like, him um, flubbing his lines during his audition. And then they still show their thought process, like, we'll go with this kid, <laughs> you know? And there's another documentary in a galaxy far, far away where... They where's the documentary about the, the guy who was almost cast as young Anakin in this movie, yeah. an actor called Devin Michael, where it was like he came super close to being um, Anakin Skywalker, but he, but he wasn't. And then it's kind of just the documentary like, what's he up to now? Because it's just like we see what happened to Jake Lloyd and then you see this guy and it's like he wasn't cast. It, it's a bummer that he wasn't cast. He was the best of all of the auditions. Yeah. Like, if they had any sense, they would have cast him. But alas, George Lucas had the controls. So. I don't know if he could have given an, an, a completely better performance, mm. given the fact that the dialogue was, was hampering even the really talented, experienced actors. Yeah. But... You gotta wonder how it turned out. But it was just really odd just to be like, this kid didn't get the role. And look at him now. He's normal. <laughs> I mean, he's okay. You know? Like, yeah. he's like he's come to terms with the fact that he wasn't cast. Uh, it's just a very... It's, it's, it's an interesting documentary. It's like 16 minutes long. Yeah, so... Yeah, Jake Lloyd's acting was unfortunate. Yeah. Um... Newt's a good word for it. The accent for Newt Gunray is Thai. That's a Thai accent he's mm. doing. And it was chosen by George Lucas after him and uh, McCallum listened to several different accents with that with the line take. Mm. So they they put the line through a machine and it was just like different accents and they were like, Thai sounds good. So that's how it. So that's how that came about. Okay, Connor and I wondered that last time we were watching yeah. the film. <laughs> um, did you know who was the original casting for uh, Darth Maul? No, Benicio del Toro. Seriously. Seriously. That's a very interesting one. But he left after they cut the lines down, so like Ray Park didn't actually speak. The one line of dialogue was um. Peter Serafinowicz. No idea who that is. He was the main. He was the other, um, prison. He was the other police officer in um Guardians of the Galaxy besides John C. Riley. Oh shit! The one who, okay. the one who bites it. Yeah. Yeah, that was him. He's one of those. He, again, one of those actors where it's like, I, I vaguely remember the face, but also you can't remember the name because it's really lot weird to pronounce. Yeah. But he left after his lines were cut. 
Brian Blessed auditioned for the role of C.O. Biddle? The, the, the Naboo politician who's very much uh, like, you must contact me. That kind of thing. You know, the one on the ground. The one who gets left behind on, tat- on Naboo. Yeah. He auditioned for that, but they were like, He's, he has too much of a booming voice. <laughs> but it was okay. He did end up playing Boss Nass. Alright. So that's... So yeah, so that fit him, his uh, acting. Voice, yeah. His big... His big... Ted, were you looking for a dramatic, exciting voice? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how he ended up getting Boss Nass. Alright. Who... I I like Boss Nass. He's, he seems fun, you know? Who, sir, are you, sir? <laughs> Oh, the f- I mean, com- considering we went 38 minutes nearly without one of us doing a Jar Jar impression is is impressive. Yeah, I, I, I can't do it to the listeners. <laughs> I respect them too much. Me? Me said Jar Jar Binks. Me said no, no respect to the listeners. Uh, no. Not much. <laughs> Have you ever... I know there was a clip once where someone who does a really good... um. Morgan Freeman impression read out Jar Jar's lines and there was no way to make his dialogue sound even more racist sounding oh. than have it read out in a normal voice. Oh, really? Yeah, by someone, you know, by, by a normal sort of black actor's voice or in this case, Morgan Freeman's voice, mm. reading it out does make I think it just heightens the sort of oh I can see why this was taken as being a bit racist sounding yeah filming began in uh, began on the 26th of June 1997 and ended on September 30th 97 uh mostly filmed at Levenston Studios in England as part of a two-year lease they had so they were so it was like okay well, we can film this, and then if we need to come back, the sets are exactly the same for yeah. second principal photography, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Second unit or third unit shots with the sea, with the green screens and shit. The Moss Espa section of the film was shot on location outside the city of uh, Tozur in Tunisia. No, right. Same, same, almost same location as they filmed in 77. Jeez. So they went back to Tunisia for the Tatooine sequences here. And I think certain, I think they, I don't know if they still go back to Tunisia for when they need to film Tatooine shit. Yeah. I don't think so now. They have like the, the, the really good tech, the green screen tech now yeah. that's very much, it's not even green screen. It's, I can't, I can't remember the name of it. It's a series it. of LED screens. Like yes, the, the LED, the, yeah, the LED screens. They used it for the Batman as well. Yeah. They used it for a lot of the Star Wars stuff. It looks amazing. It's incredible, like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they went to Tunisia. On the third day of shooting in Tunisia, a sandstorm destroyed a shit ton of the sets and the props. But George Lucas was not fussed about it because he saw it as a good sign because the exact same thing happened when they were filming the original Star Wars. <laughs> so he was like, this this is good, this is good, this is a sign that it's going to work out. You know? As, as he would always kind of say about the, the similarities between each project, it rhymes. <laughs> so I was like, you know, it's, it, it, it rhymes. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, McGregor was told multiple times on set 
not to make his own sound effects with the lightsaber. <laughs> they had to tell him multiple times that when you're in the lightsaber, I go, zoom, zoom, I can zoom. understand that. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> McGregor kept saying, sorry, I lied. Sorry, I, lied. I got too excited. <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to say, though, while watching the making of documentary of this, the hair that Ewan McGregor enters the documentary with mm. is spectacular. It's like the dog tanyan mullet type, long, down to about here. Yeah. Just, oh, it's breathtaking. <laughs> and then it gets kind of cut into the Padawan look that he has here. Although he spends a lot of this movie wearing a a a, a bad wig because reshoots and he had to go off and do course, other yeah. things with different with different hair but um yeah as i mentioned earlier uh before we started filming it was the only film in the prequel trilogy to film on 35 millimeter they wouldn't do another 35 millimeter star wars film until episode seven okay. um again knightley's mother Kira Knightley's mother would often mistake Natalie Portman and her own daughter because, you know, they looked similar. Yeah. They were in similar garb. Literally, one was pretending to be the other for half the goddamn movie. Mm-hmm. And I think to this day, pe- there's still some people who can't tell uh, Natalie Portman and Kira Knightley apart. That's funny. As I said, uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff with yeah. uh, Kira Knightley on set, apparently Natalie Portman was an absolute cunt to her oh really and multiple of the actresses who played her handmaidens oh well she like made them fucking cry at one point Jesus. she was not nice on that day she has since come out and apologized about it just like it was unbecoming of me i'm really sorry for the treatment i gave to a bunch of the you know i'm sorry i got caught essentially <laughs> i'm sorry people started to complaining about this well this well, well this came out like a couple of years ago and it hadn't been said yet yeah. like no one had come out and said oh yeah natalie Portman was a bitch on the set of a movie from 97 you know yeah. i think it was kind of i don't know maybe it was a case of i'll say it first before it comes out from somewhere else right or i don't know before kira knightley spouts half about it but again i think she's apologized i don't know the two of them have made up about mm. it you know, again, she was 12, the other was 16, so mm-hmm. it's like, they weren't exactly fucking mature people yet. Yeah. You know? Um, just a quick shout out to Rob Inch, who was the stunt double for Liam Neeson. Oh. He signed my lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, so whenever I kind of, I'm talking to people, I'm like, I have a lightsaber that's signed by Liam Neeson's stunt double. <laughs> So shout out to him, and in a and in one of the shots in um, Duel of the Fates, yeah, it's actually him because it's a shot from the back of uh, Qui Gon. So mm. obviously you can't see Liam Neeson's face. So it's just that guy who's about the same height as Neeson, just in the hair. You know, he pinpointed that exact uh, scene out where in that panel he did at uh, the Irish Star Wars convention that I went to. Those gotta, many moons ago. You gotta appreciate that though. Like, if you're in Star Wars, even for a millisecond, you're like, there's that, there's me right there. <laughs> Do you know on that same fucking? I, I don't know if it was that convention or maybe the year after. Yeah. Um, cause sometimes you get like, the very obscure people like again a stunt double for Qui Gon, 
or you get literally Billy D. Williams yeah. at the same one. And then the guy who played Boba Fett in the original trilogy, yeah. who I th- who has since unfortunately passed on, but um, one of the people who I think was at one of the last ones I went to, I I don't think they I don't think they do them as frequently anymore, here. But one of the last ones I went to, it was the guy who in Revenge of, in Return of the Jedi, literally was like. You rebel scum. <laughs> he gets he gets to go to conventions because of that one line. That's awesome. And he was just like, that's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> Here lies, you rebel scum. You got to milk it, man. Absolutely, absolutely. 20 million was spent on the advertising for this movie, including <laughs> licensing deals with Hasbro and Lego. <laughs> we'll do a quick timeline here. Of the build-up to the film from September of 98 till release day. Okay, September of 98, the title was announced, Mm -hmm. which divided fans because other names had been rumoured that, in honesty, did sound better. They thought, most fans thought it would be either, it would be between three titles, Mm. Balance of the Force, Guardians of the Force, or The Clone Wars. Uh, yeah and it turned out to be none of them some of them <laughs> thought they George Lucas would pull something like what he did in 83 where all of the advertising was Revenge of the Jedi yeah. and then about three or four weeks before the film came out George R- Lucas realised oh wait a Jedi wouldn't take revenge bang return yeah November of 98 on the 10th of November the teaser poster dropped that's the Vader silhouette one Mm. Still to this day, one of the greatest fucking posters. Yeah. Because it's, it's the best use of young Anakin in the entire film. Is the teaser poster with the Vader shadow. Yeah. And on the 13th, in front of Meet Joe Black, which is a movie only really remembered because it has one of the most insane, out of nowhere, character gets hit by a car scenes ever. I'll I'll show it to you when we're done this, but yep. like, the way poor young Brad Pitt gets fucked over and that car, car hits him, it's just like, bam, and then another car, bam, and just hits <laughs> the ground and just out of fucking nowhere. In front of that movie, the first teaser trailer dropped. Fans paid full price and left immediately after the teaser. Because this is 1999 and ticks don't cost as much as they do now. Yeah. Certain cinemas uh, recorded that 500 people turned up and then after the teaser trailer, 300 left. Across America, it was noted that for the first week of the teaser trailer playing, about 75% of the audiences were leaving after the teaser. That's ridiculous. Uh, one Canadian theatre released the teaser trailer a day early and 20th Century Fox completely took all of the showing rights away from it for the film. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Jesus. They were not fucking around here. Yeah. You thought Disney were ruthless. That's the secrecy you need, but for sure we're so Yeah. Wrong. March 1999, the full trailer is posted online with a million downloads in the first day. Jesus. And in the first three weeks, they got 6.3 million downloads. Fuck. That's the pre-internet days, guys. You downloaded. How much megabytes do you need to download this trailer? <laughs> Dial-up internet. Um, the 3rd of May, 1999. 
Oh, as you know, just before that, a- uh, at the end of April, beginning of May, 1999, Lucasfilm helped um, multiple Star Wars or- fan organizations uh, do the first Star Wars celebration, which is the biggest Star Wars convention in the world. So, like, it is, it is the Comic-Con, but for, just for Star Wars. Yeah. Like, they'll go to Celebration now and literally, like, release trailers. Okay. And this was the first one, and Lucasfilm specifically helped do it. I was like, that, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. May 3rd, 1999, Midnight Madness, the toys go on sale. And, oh, look up the videos of, like, fans fighting for the fucking toys. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite um, podcasts, the Comedy Button, one of the dudes on there is like a proper, proper nerd, his name is Ryan Scott, um, and he got a jaywalking ticket in the States for walking across the road, not on a Pelican Crossing or Zebra Crossing, to get the first, first release of the fucking Star Wars <laughs> Phantom Menace toys. <laughs> oh. He got ticketed for it. Um, Lucas foregoed his director's salary for the film in exchange for... The final cut negatives, mm. so so that he could go off and do fucking three D re releases in twenty twelve. Oh yeah, and the executive rights for the toys, so like literally he has all the rights for the toys. Every bit of merch that's sold goes in his fucking pocket. That's incredible. Uh, as he did in the first, as he did back in seventy seven, it was like you know I'm I just give me the dist- the toy rights. Yeah. One point two five million units of Star Wars toys were sold on May third alone, Jesus. with Darth Maul being the biggest seller. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, it it's. Had he f- featured in the comics before this? I don't think so. No. Okay. So he was like an entirely new character that just like had a really awesome design. Oh yeah. And the trailers left off with like the tease of like. The trailer showed the double-handed lightsaber as well. Yeah. So at that point, you're like, okay, he looks cool. He's being positioned as the new evil Sith Lord. Mm. You know, people are like, this guy has so much potential. Badass. And he's and in spite of what happens in this film, he is he's still ha- he is still one of the best villains. He is. Yeah. Even this film, you know, it turns out that the silent uh, evil villain turns out his best form is actually him chad monologuing in uh the siege of mandalore oh yeah <laughs> although even then he's more of an anti-hero to an extent because mm. by the end of it it's like he knows what's up yeah and few other people do the 5th of may the release date is pushed from may 21st to may 19th uh lucas said it was to give fans a midweek head start over family so you don't have like Fridays and Saturdays where like parents are giving bringing kids to the screenings and then you have the hardcore fans in costumes and yeah. wielding lightsabers of whatnot who was like I want to go to this at midnight. The fans waited in line for days both Jeez. to buy tickets and just to get in for the screening to get a good seat. Like this is proper old school folks with tents. Yeah. Like and I thought the build to Force Awakens was getting crazy when they turned the spire in Dublin into a into a lightsaber. <laughs> you know, like I like we kind of saw this with Episode Seven, but I don't think we saw it to this level. Yeah, there wasn't. We didn't have the innocence in twenty fifteen that they had in ninety nine. You know, we had been burnt by the 
people have been burnt by the prequels. The internet was around, so no one was waiting in line to buy tickets. They were yeah. all going online and buying it as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, I went to the midnight premiere of Force Awakens. I'll be f- straight up about that. <laughs> in costume. And how was that experience for you? One of the best experiences of my life. <laughs> when the... Uh, when the screen went black as the film was about to start, I brought that lightsaber that was signed by Liam Neeson's stunt double and I timed turning it on at the perfect moment. Like, the screen had just gone black. There was that split second of everyone was like, oh, it's about to start. Mm. It was... You you know the Chantler night? Yeah. With the bin I and do. the... You know what? I can't forget that night. That night is serious memory forever. It's one of the best stories. That moment of bullseye and me turning the lightsaber on at the midnight premiere at the proper Uh moment are the two moments in my life that I'm like, perfection. (laughs) Like, the two greatest moments of my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First word set in two hours. Yes. Um, Because also, it's like... Also, even with uh, the 2015 release, it was like... I, f- I feel like there was just too much of a discourse of like what would happen if it went wrong whereas in 99 no one thought it was going to suck it could do no wrong it could yeah like there was an innocence that I just think could not come back again yeah you know but um yeah so that's also but also there was still hype because um when they were playing the trailers beforehand it was they were going on so long the fans were starting to get restless and this is one of my favorite midnight premiere stories ever obviously it was december so you had all the christmas ads yeah. on and it was one of those fucking done stores ones where it's just like the old ma- the man walking home with a christmas present for like from his dead father to give to his daughter or whatever mm-hmm. and like one fan was getting so restless waiting there was just someone <laughs> down the front that just yells fuck christmas oh but yeah so that's pretty much it for pre-production <laughs> yeah how do you f- do you think you would have been as hyped for this in 99 oh i definitely would have been had it not been one yeah <laughs> i mean like if if you were like if you were like our age in now in 99 how hyped would you be oh incredibly Without- hyped any of the internet shit without any of what's come in the last 23 years now knowing myself being completely honest i I doubt i'd queue in line for days but i would definitely be at the back or middle of a line at the midnight screening hoping to get last minute tickets part of me is too much of a nerd to to completely dismiss the thought of me wanting to camp outside a cinema at least one time in my life that's fair you know right now on to just the dissection of the film Mm -hmm. what went wrong what didn't go wrong there were two good scenes in this movie we've we've spoken about them quite a bit already the pod racing scene which is my personal favorite and then your personal favorite the duel of fates yes other than that this movie was hot street trash (laughs) i mean i in fairness i do like the um pod racing sequence Mm -hmm. mainly because it kind of i have fond childhood memories of when they used to sell young Anakin as a Halloween costume, mm-hmm. where they had the full mask that was him in the pod race helmet. Oh. And it was this really weird foam kind of mask as well. Yeah. 
It was like the two childhood Halloween masks that I most remember. It was foam Anakin pod racer and bad plastic um Yu Gi Oh with the full on oh, anime the hair. Oh. Oh, you fucking better believe I had the dual disc. I always wanted one. I never got one. Oh, me walking up to school on toy day, just like. <laughs> you bitch! You're the kid I hated. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, um, I, I know this is, this is a bad movie. Yeah. But it's a, but it's a very entertaining to watch bad movie. See, I'm sure it would be, because I, Connor, I tried to watch it last night, um, and I got 20 minutes in before passing the fuck out, and I had a few drinks, I thought that would bolster the experience, it just put me to sleep. Um, I do think, however, the only way to enjoyably, to watch this movie enjoyably is to have a few drinks with it. But I will say the opening 20 minutes are the harder part to get through because, like, it literally opens with, like, taxation routes in the (laughs) opening crawl. Yeah. And then the problem with this is it was so technologically advanced that it got in the... that it hindered the film because... The the actors in this film were doing things that no actor had really done before. Yeah. Have a, act beside things that aren't really real. Mm-hmm. In a way, that even if you were working on Jurassic Park, you didn't have to. Because again, no one's interacting. No one's having a full on back and forth dialogue scene with the fucking dinosaur. Yeah. You know, even in Terminator 2. There's humans having conversations with humans. Yeah. In mostly real locations. This is people talking with green screens, people talking in front of green screens. Not many actors had done this before, so even talented actors are kind of stifled. Yeah. I'll say this. This film has such a tight arsehole. Like, it is so wound up because of how sterile it feels oh yeah there's a sterileness that i think only liam neeson can kind of pierce through because also he gets to have an acting scene alongside you know shmi who is also an a good actress Mm. everyone else is either acting behind something that isn't real yeah either or it's a case of obi-wan where they don't give him really anything to do ewan mcgregor even said my most of my performance in this movie is walking into rooms and looking around yeah, and even in Attack of the Clones, some of Obi-Wan's acting is beard acting. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favourite lines from uh, the Skywalker saga Lego game they've released. I Obviously, I haven't played it, but I've been looking at, like, the char- watching the character interactions on YouTube. Right. My favourite one is um, an interaction between Anakin's character and Obi-Wan's character. And he's like, Anakin, remember what I taught you? And he was like, Yes, master. The uh, the secret to a good beard is conditioner and confidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, yeah. So like this, it's this is more sterile than the the other two films. Even though the other two films are even more technological. Yeah. Like by the time you're getting to episode three, I don't think there's any fucking like practical sets. I think it might all just be green screen. Hmm. 
but also I think either the dialogue has kind of improved a tiny bit or there's just less acting in front of nothing as opposed to you're acting alongside someone but there's nothing in the background yeah, other than green also i just feel like maybe the characters have all kind of grown into themselves more as opposed to here where no one has really grown into them into themselves yet sure, other yeah. than qui-gon i i will genuinely say this i think qui-gon might be the best jedi in the entire series like out of all nine films it's quite a claim because he is the only character who can see the bullshit from the grass. That's true. Like, that's one of the things I'll get into later when I discuss Dave Filoni's take on Duel of the Fates. Yeah. But Qui-Gon is the only Jedi who I can genuinely see being able to figure out Palpatine before it's too late. Mm. Because he he wasn't on the council. He didn't agree with the council and a lot of things that made him different and that makes me think he would see past what the council can't see Mm. you know because again the council sat in a room with palpatine in episode two and couldn't sense that he was the literal embodiment god of the fucking (laughs) sith yeah because they're too blind obi-wan didn't prescribe to the same thought process as them Mm. So, uh, Qui-Gon didn't so I feel like that's why and I feel like that's the only failing they gave Obi-Wan in this entire trilogy he's too much of a product of the council yeah. and not enough of a product of what Qui-Gon taught him because even though he was taught by Qui-Gon he would still have a lot you know Yoda would have a lot of presence yeah. you know it's hard not to listen to Yoda you know or Mace Windu. And I and I do think that's part of why I think they did Samuel L. Jackson wrong in this. Because, like, when you think about it, Yoda does, you know... We do know that Yoda is very wise. It's just we're at a point now where the institution is failing. They're, they're kind of... They've gone off a bit. Yeah. They're not thinking the right way. We never see Mace Windu not in that state so it just so mace window just comes off looking bad because he doesn't know because we know that he doesn't grow into the wise jedi that yoda is yeah yeah what did you i i know you were saying there was a lot of uh digital stuff but what do you think of the practical stuff because there is some practical stuff in there here. is like most explosions and stuff used are practical effects yeah i always think that that adds a lot to the, you know the film um I think, I don't know how much that was George Lucas though, and how much was you know, the production designers and the people yeah. on, the special, on the practical effects. But um, yeah, no, they do. They I feel like they are some of the unsung heroes. Yeah. Of this trilogy, because. Outside of the story, there's so many really fucking amazing planets in these. Yeah. Like as much as I kind of wish Naboo was Alderaan. Because Disney has had has has had Star Wars for ten years now, and we've still never seen fucking Alderaan, <laughs> outside of a tiny bit. Yeah. One very very short scene in episode three, we've never seen Alderaan, which 
always feels weird to me. Why should we give a shit about a planet getting blown up if we never see that planet? Because the millions of lives, Jake. The billions of lives. Yeah, but it's also like... You already want to tie this thing into the original trilogy so much that, like, you're bringing back actors. You know, you're bringing characters. You know, you're already setting up the fall. You know, by the time they get to episode three... There's, there's talk of even having a young Han Solo in this at mm. one point. Obviously, it gets cut. And then, ep- and then Attack of the Clones is so trying to be Empire Strikes Back that they even cut off Anakin's hand yeah. for no real fucking reason other than, hey, look, it happened to Luke too. You know, he's so obsessed with rhyming. Why, did he, why didn't he just put uh, it as Alderaan, you know? Yeah. Like, we don't... Like... The planet is night. Like, Naboo is gorgeous as a planet. I just think, why not have it be Alderaan? Yeah. Because, again, Naboo has never turned up again. <laughs> They've never gone back to Naboo in anything beyond uh, episode three. So it just kind of feels like you you made a planet for the sake of, hey, let's make a planet. <laughs> <laughs> so you think it would rhyme better if, if it, it was, was Alderaan? Yeah, That's because fair, yeah. because then it's also like, hey, Leia, your mother was elected queen yeah. of Alderaan, which makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand how you elect queens. It's a, it's a cool monarchy, democracy hybrid. I like it. I kind of fuck with it. Demonarchy. Demonarchy, oh. Yes. Praise be demonarchy. <laughs> but yeah, and, I mean, you are saying Jar Jar isn't... He is insufferable. Insufferable. Oh, as a child, I fucking loved Jared. Don't get me wrong. I fucking ate that shit up. But, uh... I will... I will go on record here and saying there was a large stretch of my childhood where this movie was my favourite Star Wars movie. You Why? Because I was a stupid child. That's fair. And because, like, this one had the happy ending... This yeah. had the happiest ending, you know, like a lot of uh, episode t- two is like Anakin and Padme kissy kissy stuff. And, you know, as a kid, you're just like, ugh, cooties, you know, uh, and then in the third one, it's terror. It's it's sad and it's scary. And I believe for my brother when he told me that um, they actually filmed episode three back in the 1980s but it was so scary and traumatizing and dangerous that they did that it was it was illegal to release until 2005 <laughs> as i said i was a dumb kid that's fair uh no because i i don't know i keep harping on about pod racing that genuinely was one of my favorite parts of this film that's the reason love, i would have watched this film so many times as a kid. i do love the pod. i do quite like the. i i love the idea of the pod racing yeah. and i'm kind of in it's always like why didn't they do more with that later on i mean Obviously, they built the fuck out of it yeah. early on. Like, there's a pod racing video game. Maybe some of my liking of the podcast, pod racing sequence has been a little diluted because it's the one level on the Lego Star Wars game for the prequels uh, that I could never, ever get past. You could never get all the... I could never get past it. Every other film, I finished it completely. Mm. I just couldn't get past that level on Phantom Menace, so I never finished Phantom Menace in the game. Damn, dude. Which just breaks my fucking heart to this day. <laughs> and it's also, I feel like it's just the right length, the podcast. Yeah. A uh, pod race. 
and oh, this is this is pre and post production all over again. <laughs> but it's the right length. I feel like if it had gone on any longer, it sort of it would have started being a bit of a slog. Yeah. But I, there's so much in the way of like incredible sound design. Every pod race, every pod, pod racer has a different sort of yeah sound, and also when they crash, it genuinely has that dangerous vibe of like an illegal car race. Yeah, totally. It has that NASCAR kind of feel to it, where like if you crash in NASCAR, there's a good chance your car is gonna like fly in the air and like oh, yeah. do flips and whatnot you don't walk out of a crash nascar <laughs> yeah um or, or or if you do you you go and you start throwing fists Pop at the guy who crashed into you that's a that's a side that's an exciting uh, pod racing i would like to I see don't think uh, so, the no. fight the no. races just see. fighting each other especially because was it water you know i've always considered that but no he doesn't have a I gotta say, oh. I kind of like of, um, Wano. them Why? adding into C three PO's backstory. That I mean, they needed to because ha- he comes, like he that. fits the role yeah. of like a greedy slave owner. Yeah, yes, but he also kind of has that feeling of you know. By the time you get to the second one, he is actually remorseful. So it's like he has that vibe of like, yes, he is. He they is uh, not that nice of a guy, but like anyone, when push comes to again, shove, they wipe he's he not he his memory at the yeah. end you know? of the third one. Yeah. Like, there's, but like, there's people who kind of want him to pop up into like, the juiciest fucking You know, like, there's all this talk, I think they kind of, they openly say, you know, we're going to have a scene where Obi-Wan visits Shmi's grave and someone's like, what about a fucking be there, hat in hand, you know? I am sorry. Asking for change. Times have been hard since the <laughs> since the empire took over. Yeah, but um, I do like I do quite like the uh, Anakin coming from slavery. Yeah. Because it's like, well, Luke was a firm boy on Tatooine, so it even then it's like, even then that is a step up from where his father was. So it's yeah. like it's a touch of the American dream in here, you know, <laughs> but um. And yeah, and I just like it also because it, it later came back in a really good way in a Clone Wars arc. Right. Where they go undercover as slaves for the the main race of slavers in the galaxy. And that's a great arc of exploring Anakin's darker tendencies because he fucking despises them. Oh. Like, you know, again, this is like the species that is responsible for most of the slave trade. Like, whoever sold Watto, sold Watto, Anakin, and his mother was probably from this race of aliens. Mm. So it's like, yeah, this is Anakin, this is addressing Anakin's past as a slaver and his darker tendencies. So it's like, that's really good. A lot of what I'll say about the prequels is, well, shit, Clone Wars does actually make, fix that, kind of. Okay. Yeah. But that's a patch job, rather than it being laid out as a plan, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yes, but then it's like, while that's not it, the way it comes across now... Mm. But even then, you know, kid comes from slavery, that's still a good arc, even if yeah. you take it away. It's like, yeah, this kid was a slave, and now he's a Jedi. That's cool. Yeah. You know? And it's like... 
it shows that he wants to come back and free his mother someday. Yeah. And he never gets to do that. He never does. Dressing ne- to the dark side. Yeah. I mean, that's, that works. If it, it, One thing that George Lucas always said is he made this film to play in all different countries. So the dialogue was always kind of the secondary thing. Yeah. So if you watch the prequels on silent they work because a lot of the dialogue you can't hear the dialogue so like you can't hear Jar Jar you just get the um, yeah. notion of okay there's an invasion of a planet the people are suffering these guys escape they find a boy he gets hold on now you're losing for me <laughs> Basically, there's a planet under threat. Yeah. And heroes come and there's an alliance between the humans and the other aliens on the planet. And they overthrow the invaders and they save, yeah. they free the planet. If you watch that silent, that really works. The problem is the dialogue. Because the dialogue isn't good. Have you seen some... There's a dude on YouTube who edited, re-edited the, the prequel films. Essentially fixing them as he puts it. Um, and they're actually a lot more watchable. So he takes out any unnecessary dialogue. He ta- he takes out unnecessary unnecessary scenes, and he gets rid of Jar Jar's voice and other aliens' voices, and puts in a generic gurgly like alien sound, alien sound, and has subtitles underneath it that fixes what he's saying. Wow! And it's actually they're actually a really good watch. Also, it is cool to see them, you know, actually on a location in this film as yeah. opposed to behind a green screen. Even though it's weird seeing. Jar Jar kind of mixed in you know yeah Maul what are your thoughts um love the character don't love the silence obviously I'm, I'm prefer him be silent than him to spat off some stupid shit that Lucas wrote but I yeah. thought that his character needed some kind of you know yeah force driving force you, needed some kind of you wish he had had although again I know you kind of have to look at it as just, like, from this film, that is a flaw. They waste him in this movie. Yeah. But if you look at how the character has evolved over time, this version of him works because it then feeds into what he later becomes. Yeah. When he realises, oh, he was just part of the fucking plan. And also not even the most important part of the plan. He was the least important pawn in Palpatine's games. Mm-hmm. Because by the time he's gone, they already have fucking Dooku in the wings. And, you know, Dooku does more. Dooku and Grievous do more than anything Maul was meant to do. Maul was just meant to be like, hey, look, we're back. And then he gets off immediately. Yep. Um, And there's always this theory that the three different... Sith underlings in the prequels leading up to Vader's turn are all different elements of what Vader later becomes. Okay. The fallen Jedi, the pawn, and the machine. Huh. um, Maul being the kind... Maul being the um, dark pawn who doesn't kind of know he's a pawn until, you know, until episode six when Vader kind of looks and realizes oh shit, this was always the plan. You were going to not only have me turn my son, but then get rid of fucking me, mm. and then he takes my role. 
which is what happens with Maul. He finds out, I wasn't special. Yeah. I was just part of your plan. You have Dooku, the fallen Jedi, who sees the corruption in the system and he sees the error of the Jedi and he can't handle that. Yeah. And that caused him to turn. And then you have Grievous, who is the machine. He's not a human. He's a, he's a machine. Mm. So all three of those add up to what Vader becomes. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, and that's one of the things where it's like, do you credit Lucas or do you credit Filoni? Because Filoni's all the Clone Wars shit. Yeah. But you or maybe it's kind of you have to credit both because most of Maul's character development came because of Filoni. I think you have to credit Filoni because without him, Lucas was would just continue to drive it into the ground like he always has done. Yeah. He knocks it out the park with the first three films, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park with the first one and then he kind of realized his limitations. Yeah. But I feel like here he didn't have any yes men for this trilogy because I feel like he's always known I'm a good creative. But I also know that directing is not what I'm best at. Yeah. You know, he was trying, he was begging other people, please do this. But they were like, no, it's your thing, do it. And I think Lucas told the story that he wanted and it was, it was a flawed story. Yep. But this leads into my other take about the prequels and how I feel about them in relation to the sequels mm. and in terms of as a trilogy. This is the trilogy story that Lucas always wanted. Whether it was what the fans wanted is a different thing. Yeah. But if you're looking at it as a trilogy, it's obviously not as good of a trilogy as the original because the original is what I would be like, this is the textbook Hollywood tree film arc should be yeah. as a hero's journey. This is more what a prequel trilogy should be. Mm-hmm. Because one of the problems with trilogies in prequel form has always been they always try to be the exact same thing as what came before, but they always desperately try to make it bigger and more epic. Like, look at what happened with the Hobbit trilogy. They tried to turn a very short children's book into three movies and tried to make it as epic as Lord of the Rings, despite the fact that if you make it as epic as Lord of the Rings, that then takes away from Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. if you watch it as... Let's watch all six at once. You know, like if you watch all six of them at once, the prequels feel very different from the original Mm. because the bad guys win in this trilogy. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, oh, hey, here's a trilogy where the good guys win and it's the prequel to a trilogy where the good guys win. (laughs) Even with um, Fantastic Beasts, they, they just keep trying to make it, oh, look, it's just like Harry Potter, even though it's like, well, it's not as good. And it kind of takes away from the whole sort of, oh, look how epic it is that we're fighting this evil dark wizard. You know, 50 years ago, they're still fighting an evil dark wizard, you know? Yeah. They're always trying to go bigger and bigger and ba- better, but they're also doing the exact same things. The difference between Stalin and Hitler. But I will say sequel trilogy for two-thirds yeah better movies than two-thirds of the prequels but as an overarching trilogy story told across three films this is the better 
trilogy, even though it has, for the most part, weaker movies than the sequels. Mm. Um, this film got a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. Better than expected. A 59% audience score. Only the third lowest audience score in the entire saga. Seriously? Um, What's the lowest? Uh, Attack of the Clones has a 56% mm. audience score, and The Last Jedi has a 42% audience score. That's fair. <laughs> but The Last Jedi one is hilarious because it's like 42% audience score. The the tomato score on it is 91. Jesus. Um, a 51 on Metacritic and an A- minus on Cinema Score. It was nominated for three Oscars. Mm. Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, and Best Visual Effects. That's Not fair. Score. John, John Lucas didn't get nominated for Best Score for Duel of the Fucking Fates. Mm. That's a fucking crime. <laughs> he got... Fantastic. I imagine he got... He, I, I checked... He got nominated for some other fucking film that he did in 99. Yeah. But how do you not nominate him for this? How? And um, the story of their Oscar nominations all go the same way. Lost to the Matrix. Mm. Matrix beat it in sound, sound editing, and visual effects. Which is not surprising. You know... This film was um, overshadowed in a lot of ways by The Matrix. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, this is, oh, we're going to get this sort of groundbreaking sci-fi epic that kind of ushers in a new, it's a sci-fi game changer. We're going to get a sci-fi game changer in 1999. And we did. It's just folks didn't realize they were talking about it with the wrong film. (laughs) You know, Phantom Man is in some ways was a game changer in mm. terms of what you could do visually with visual effects. But the film that has maintained and lasted and has the legacy of good, you know, that was a good film when it first came out and hasn't had to kind of piggyback on an overall overarching turn for the favorableness of the trilogy as a whole by way of a fandom that is not happy with current output. Yeah. The Matrix was the better film. And part maybe that's partly why the Phantom Menace didn't do as well box office-wise, because unlike Fa- Matrix, where good word of mouth pushed it up very high on the box office, yeah. maybe the word of mouth long-term is what stopped Phantom Menace from getting a billion dollars. Yeah. Because at that point, word of mouth could actually hurt a film like that. As opposed to now, where it's like, how many Transformers films made over a billion? <laughs> um, but yeah, so Matrix overshadowed The Phantom Menace at the Oscars, yeah. critically, um, in terms of the legacy that left, which people preferred. Um, but obviously, The Phantom Menace went on to be the highest grossing film of 99. Yep. Um for for the occasion that is Star Wars Day, I would like to f- first announce the opening of the Macho Movie Man Podcast Hall of Fame. Oh. Yes, and this week we have two inductions for the day that's in it. Two Hall of Famers. Um, the first one, uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, even though this film is not his shining moment in the role. He, he is the MVP of this trilogy. Mm. In the moment. I know you can kind of say Palpatine as well. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, it's too easy to say Palpatine. Yeah. Because, you know, he has so much in the way of, like... He's so camp. Mm-hmm. And he can be camp because it's Palpatine. It's, you know, the evil baddie. Obi-Wan carries the Anakin and Obi-Wan dynamic. He does. He ca- He has the most emotional scene in the entire trilogy. Yeah. On Mustafar. You were my brother. There's a reason why ever since Disney bought the damn property, people have been begging for more Obi-Wan. Yeah. And it's Ewan McGregor, and that's why he is the first inductee in the Macho Movement Podcast Hall of Fame. All right. He's number two. Ewan McGregor. And also because outside of Star Wars, he's a damn good actor. Mm, he is. He is one of the most underrated actors working today, for my money. <laughs> he has not been given enough to do. Yeah. You know? And he has never been the weak link in a movie. Never. Um, and the other inductee is the other MVP of the prequels, long-term Dave Filoni. There we go. Yes. This, Director-in-chief. This, this is just go... Uh, this, this episode is just going to be a Dave Filoni love fest. For some. You know? He hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't taken a foot wrong since two thousand eight. So, yeah. yeah, that's it, man. So, congratulations to the two inductees, Ewan McGregor and Dave Filoni. Mazel yes. tov, l'chaim. Mazel tov, indeed. L'chaim. L'chaim. So yes, that's a segment that will be uh, recurring, hopefully, in more episodes going forward. Already. Yes. Uh, one or two fun facts. I mean, obviously, we've covered Obi Wan's wig, mm-hmm. which is not great. Not at all. It looks very odd. It's on the poster. Yeah. It does not... It's a bad wig. It's a bad wig. Uh, you know, uh, McGregor's even said that. It's just like, oh, the first time I see myself in a major Hollywood blockbuster poster and it's in that fucking wig. <laughs> did you know Warwick Davis made, a cam- made multiple cameos? I did not. When they're walking off the ship at the very end, mm. when they're all attending the Naboo, whatever... There's a guy in the background who looks slightly like Yoda's species, but it's kind of not. It's, it's, I don't know, it's maybe it's like a next door neighbor planet. Sure. But that's Warwick Davis. And then Warwick Davis turns up beside Jabba the Hutt in the pod racing sequence as a character called Weasel, who later turns up in Solo as a resistance fighter. Oh, shit. Yeah, so there's a... So there's another long-term character that Warwick Davis gets to play. And I'm like... I'd be, I'm I'm low key interested to see how you go from a mate of Jabba the Hutt, yeah, you know, to the point where you're in his fucking luxury box with him at a pod race to a resistance fighter. I feel like that's an interesting story in itself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm like, you know, give Warwick Davis a call. You know, <laughs> he hasn't had enough roles since uh, Peter Dinklage took all the best. That's true. Took all the best roles from him. Before and we will finish up now with the box office box game. Box office game, box office game. You like this bit? I do like this bit. Yes, uh, you okay? Domestic number one. We've already said it. We've been talking about it for the last two hours. Phantom Titanic. Menace. Titanic. Oh. <laughs> Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. Okay. At number two. Titanic. No, this is ninety nine. Ah, oh, damn it. It this was all fit. This movie was filmed in ninety seven. It just took mm. a full fucking year to edit. Which not surprising given the fact that the pod race took three years. Yeah. Oh, but um, 
Okay, at number two. Hey, what's that over there? Can can you see that? Can can you see that? It's wall. <laughs> no, no, no. I I see something else. Can you not see it? No. Or maybe it's just me. I see dead people. Six cents. Six cents. You bitch. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> At number three. Oh, Barry Barry. Oh, Austin Powers. Let's do it. The spy who shagged me. The spy who shagged me. At number four. See, this movie could have made even more money. But it, but it didn't want to use its head. Not a clue. Toy Story 2. <laughs> the, the one sit. I love that fucking scene where Ray. <laughs> use your head. But I don't want to use my head. Battery room. <laughs> number five. It's number five. But it also features the one. Oh, Matrix. Yes. <laughs> number five. And number six, paging all Phil Collins. Paging all Phil Collins. Brother Bear. Tarzan. Tarzan, goddammit. At number seven, paging all Sprouse twins. Paging oh. all Sprouse twins. The Pagan and the Popper. <laughs> the Pagan and the Popper? The Prince and the Popper. Damn you, The Disney Channel movie? Yeah. I'm hoping. No, it's Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. Fuck, of course it is. That was their um big debut before one of them, one of them was Ross's kid on Friends. Oh, that was before Ross. That was before yeah, Ross. That, I think that was like two thousand. That episode came out, mm-hmm. and this was ninety nine. At number eight, the everyone's daddy in nineteen ninety nine, the master of the Renaissance, Mister Brendan Fraser, oh, the in the Mummy. There was one in the Renaissance, what? The Renaissance, that's what everyone's calling his comeback now. Oh, really? He's the, he's the villain, he's going to be the villain in the new Batgirl movie. Oh, shit. And he's got a new movie coming out with Darren Aronofsky. All right. And he's in the new Sc- Scorsese movie as well with DiCaprio and De Niro. That sounds awesome. I know, he's finally coming back after too goddamn long. Yeah. Um, And The Mummy, just, you know, a seminal... I mean, if if this was nineteen ninety nine, we would we'd all be about that mummy. Yeah, we would. That was the fucking blockbuster that year. It was. I mean, I know Phantom Menace was the blockbuster, but you know, that that's like the Indiana Jones of nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> the mummy. Uh, at number nine, Runaway Bride, because I don't have a joke for that. Runaway Bride. <laughs> Runaway Bride. It was um. Julia Roberts and Richard Gere was just like, oh, it's their first movie together since um, Pretty Woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never but, seen that film. Yeah. It, 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 neither have I. I've heard it's not great. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm like, I like Pretty Woman, but, Pretty Woman, but um, yeah, I, I don't really want to watch Runaway Bride. I don't know. Um, and at number 10, are you startled? Because I'm so startled. Napoleon Dynamite? No. Fuck, I didn't have another joke for this. Blair Witch Project. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project. <laughs> All, the 10th highest grossing movie of that year. Jesus. On a, 
on a budget of a packet of fucking gum. Yeah. Her like somebody who? Um, globally, also Phantom Menace number one. Just want to pop in here. Mom just sent me a text saying, may the fourth be with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. At number two, there they are again, those fucking dead people. Oh, six cents, baby. Yeah. At number three, you know I used to be a yo-yo? You know I was a yo-yo? Was. Toy Story 2. Buzz, I was a yo-yo. <laughs> Who was a yo-yo? Woody, because do you remember the scene where they find all of the Roundup Gang's oh. memorabilia and there was a yo-yo with his face on it? That's it, yeah. And I swear to God, Pixar, I know you're getting into the t- into the series, into the fucking TV series is now. They are they they have their own uh, TV series in the work like on original idea. Yeah. If Buzz Lightyear was getting his own goddamn movie, give us a Roundup Gang series. That would be good. Give us like a TV show based on that lineup. Mm. You know, you don't even need to bring Kelsey Grammer back. You can have like someone else voice some um, st- a younger Stinky Pete if you yeah. want. You know, like. A Woody Harrelson voicing Stinky Pete. That would be good. That would be good. Um, at number four. Whoa. Whoa. Matrix. Matrix. At number five. Paging all Rosie O'Donnell apes. Paging all Rosie O'Donnell apes. Tarzan. Goddamn chicken. At, at number six. That Oscar-winning Kevin Spacey documentary, yeah. American Beauty. American Beauty, love it. I have the Blu-ray of that. How weird is it to watch now, knowing what you know about Kevin Spacey? Oh, it's it's so much worse, especially when he, when his neighbor's like, "You trying to fuck my son?" And then he kisses him, and you're like, "Wait, who's enjoying this?" <laughs> Again, it is just a race. It, it turns out it was just a, a gender-flipped uh, documentary. Yeah. Number seven, it's Runaway Bride again. Runaway Bride again. At number eight, M. Night Chamla makes his second appearance on this list with a movie he was the screenwriter on. Stuart Little. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's, that's, what that's, a script. What a script. I always referred Stuart Little too, if yeah. I may say so. With his bastard parents? With the f- No, his bastard parents are in the first one. Are they? Yeah, the, sec- oh. the second one is when... Um, he befriends the bird with the broken wing. Oh, yeah. And James Woods plays the falcon. Nicky trying to rob the family, yeah? Yeah. Man, we yeah. watched those films. Jesus. At number nine, uh, The Green Mile. The Green Mile. I love that film. Because, again, I, I couldn't think of a joke for that That's one. Fair. And, um, look at me. I'm startled again. <laughs> the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project. 99. What a year. Yeah. Actually, like, some serious hitters there. Like, Obviously, Sixth Sense, yeah. Matrix, Toy Story 2. Green Mile. Green Mile, American Beauty. Oh, what else was out in 90? Fight Club was out that Fight year. Fight Club. Oh, the Mummy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, let me just kind of look up here, because I, I always look up the box office last. Mm. Um, and again, I didn't have time to sort of add on the honorable mentions yeah no american pie just missed out on that top 10 globally shit 
Big Daddy was number 12. Mm. Wild Wild West, Wild number Wild 13. West. Wild Wild West. Pokemon, the first movie. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for this week. This has been my eighth favorite Star Wars movie. All right. Yes. <laughs> just, just, just quick FYI, top five. I have top five would be. Avengers Sith. Yep. Oh no no, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One. Avengers Sith. Empire, New Hope. Mm. Yes. Perfect. Solid list. Yes. My podcast, I am definitely listing off my favorite Star Wars movies on May 4th. Yes. Oh. Anyway, so thank you everyone for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for thanks for letting me on the podcast, Brennan. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Jakey. Thank you for letting me know where you live. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, um, and so until then, until next then. guys. Uh, and again, this will be the last episode before we sort out what the fiftieth episode is gonna be. So, if there is a little bit of a break between whenever this episode comes out, whenever Thomas gets or gets this fully edited, and God knows what he's going to keep in here mm-hmm. and what he's going to not. Um, and until that, so until that happens, uh, I don't know what the 50th episode is going to be. I have ideas. I need to run them by people, but, um, this will be the last episode until the 50th. Hopefully we'll sort that out soon. Mm. Uh, so until then guys, I shall keep you posted. Keep your lives good and full of drugs. (laughs) What he said. Th- thank shout out to Thomas for record for audio recording last week's episode. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that. Hopefully, we can get more audio recorded, audio edited, mm-hmm. um, episodes going forward. Let's see how it yes, goes. Yes, yes.